Uh, I might just pray first, if that's okay, briefly, and then I'll, then I'll begin. Thank you. Father God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for um, Craig, Brother David, and, and the rest of the brothers and sisters here. Thank you for the gospel illustration. It's, it looks unfair in practice, and uh, it just reminds us of the, of the parable of those who worked in the vineyard, and some said they were agreed to a certain wage, and then uh, when they got paid less, they got very upset, Lord, about that. But we just thank you, Lord, that uh, we are justified by your grace alone. We're so thankful, Lord, because we're so unworthy to be before you. Please bless uh, these words today. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to encourage us and open our eyes to the unseen things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I apologize for people who have just come into the 8 a.m. service and I'm repeating basically the same thing again. Um, but um, So I do work for Voice of the Martyrs. And a scripture I just want to begin with is Second Corinthians 4.18. And it says that the things that we see are temporary... But the things that are unseen are eternal. And I just find that so challenging because every day we live our lives and the things that we see just right before us could, in a blink of an eye, just vanish. As in, the Lord could come back any time. We might not even make the service. Um, we take that for grant- I take it for granted, the fact that how true that is. The unseen things, like the kingdom, like the gospel... The resurrection of Christ. All these things are things that we can't see. But they're there and they're real. That's why we have to ask God, Lord, circumcise the eyes of my heart to make these things a reality. Because I can't see them. And the God of this world blinds the eyes of people to make us just think that this is all that exists. Another thing which is unseen are millions of brothers and sisters. And I think Satan wants people just to believe that they don't exist. Then it's not you won't hear it on the media. Just recently, I, I heard a story in Sulawesi, an island of Indonesia, where people linked to ISIS stormed into a Salvation Army church, and they beheaded one. They almost beheaded the other, which is even worse. One was stabbed to death, and the other one was set on fire. These are the things which are real. They're unseen, and the Bible says, though we do not see God, we love Him. And obviously, it also says. Those who say, I love God, but hates his brother is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's that challenge. And then we all face it. We're all sinners, but it's, it's presented there before us. And part of my job is to be a voice for brothers and sisters and to share their stories because they're not heard. And so rather than tell you a story today, I would like to show you a video of a girl and her testimony. Her name is Victoria, and she's from Nigeria. And so let's just play this clip and then we'll just go on from there. I've never been put a clap on my church. Six. Something went to church. My dad, my mom, and children were four. Praises. 
We pray for the peace of the nation. Then we pray for those persecuted Christians. During the prayer section, when the attack happened, So many people die in the church. Everybody was crying, shouting. I started feeling some pain. I was shivering. It was cold. I did not realize it was a bullet that speared through. I saw people on the floor. Some are dead and some are crying. There's blood around them. Their bodies. Some people are shouting Jesus. That was the only thing I had. My younger brother shot him on the chest. His name is Tito. And he died at the age of 10. I think we are 18 people that they are shot. And 12 are dead. I saw my father bleeding seriously, but from the thigh. He's always kind. Always tell us to read the Bible and be close to God. And that was the last time I saw It's not dead. Definitely one to the
in, uh, in Matthew uh, 16, 18, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, um, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we don't see it with our eyes, but there is a hellish opposition against the church because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Underneath all of that good news, there's, there's a, that cost that is to be paid. And I want to give some statistics to show this is actually the case. So Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. Um, 200 million Christians live in places where persecution is severe. 400 million live in places where they're at risk of persecution. And to be persecuted is to be shut down for your witness. So that can really range from being, it says in the scriptures, blessed are you when you are reviled. It, that's, that's legitimate persecution, just being shut down and reviled. To on the other end of the extreme in Pakistan, being sold as a, a child bride or being raped and imprisoned and murdered. And uh, these things happen all the time. Um, when Voice of the Martyrs first began, we worked in about 50 countries. That's now increased to about 68 countries as the persecutions have increased. You see on the map there, those red sections are where persecution is severe. There's a few orange zones where that's where people are at risk of persecution and it's increasing. And it kind of shocked me how much of the world actually gets persecuted. It's, um, there's, there's another statistic which said 70% of practicing Christians live in places of suffering and persecution. That's, that's particularly phrased, uh, but that's true. And um, I just want to share a little bit about um, Nigeria. We just looked at it. Uh, Nigeria is the 12th most dangerous country in the world to be a Christian. You got Boko Haram and the Fulani herdsmen, and they're persecuting Christians in the south. Just to give you an idea of how extreme the persecution is there, um, 21,000 homes were destroyed in um, 2019. 29,000 Christians were killed for their faith. And within the top 10 most dangerous countries in the world to live as a Christian, 90% of the deaths which took place took place in Nigeria. So it just gives you an idea of how severe the persecution is there. Um, Voice of the Martyrs has set up kind of like an orphanage, a place for where children's, um, their parents have been killed. We've got about 300 children um, where we give them accommodation, we give them education, we teach them the Bible, that they have a heavenly father who loves them. Psalm 2710 says, when mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me in. And we try to instill that into the children that they have a father that loves them. Another country I just want to share with you is Indonesia. Um, Indonesia is within the top 50 most dangerous countries in the world to be a Christian. It has the largest Muslim population in the world. There are 205 million Muslims. Um, it's 12% Christian. But here's a startling statistic I shared with it at 8 a.m. 24% um, of university students think that radical Islam is okay. That is to say the next generation of educated people think that if you convert from Islam to Christianity, they think you should be killed. This is one of our neighbors. And it gives you an idea. This is, Indonesia is probably ranked maybe around 50 or so. It's not even the most dangerous. Now, within that hostile context, I spoke to last year a lady named Fenny from Indonesia, and we met her at her home. And when she walked into the room, she was very disturbing to look at because she looked like she had burn marks all over her body, about 85% of her body. And I said to her, uh, so what happened to you? And she said, well, um, there was a family of six 
that came from Syria that were radicalized and they came to Indonesia. And on May the 13th, um, two of the daughters, uh, the mother and the daughters, they went to the Indonesia Pentecostal Church. The two sons went on their motorcycles. They bombed also the, uh, the Catholic Church. And the father went in his van and he went to go bomb the Pentecostal Church in Surabaya. Now, just want to paint you a picture. Fenny was standing at that gate, at that uh, balcony, if you can see that balcony there. So she's standing there and she's watching. She said, I saw a van come in um, and one of the congregant sons stood at the gate of the church and they said, please don't go any further. So the man in the van, he ran over this boy and uh, this boy unwittingly stopped the van from proceeding any further. So he kind of lodged the van. The original plan was to go all the way. Now the man in this van, he detonates the van because he realizes this is where it's going to be. And the bomb blast was so big that uh, a building, you know, 30 meters away or so, whatever it was, the windows had shattered. But yet just in front on that balcony, there was Fenny. And Fenny said that uh, she felt her body go into flames. She literally was lit on fire. I'm not sharing this story to scare anyone. It's just the truth of what actually happens with many brothers and sisters. She went to go find water. You're not supposed to do that. It kind of makes it worse. You have to roll or something like that. So she ended up pouring water on her, someone poured water on her body. She incurred burns to 85% of her body. Um, and and uh, 50 were wounded, about 28 were killed. That's her wounds there. Her arm has been, was fused together like this. Uh, she's got many skin grafts. The Voice of the Martyrs paid about $12,500 for multiple surgeries. Many people say, isn't that a lot for one person? Well... Jesus didn't Jesus leave the 99 in, in the, the open country and go and, and minister to the one. So we, we did that for her. We paid for her medical expenses. She, had an eight, she has an eight-year-old daughter named Clarissa who also got injured. Um, the far, please please um, pray for persecuted brothers and sisters. Um, we have newsletters. And the reason why we do that is because I used to think they were like superheroes who they get persecuted and they just... Uh, somehow always endure, but they get shattered and they need our prayers because even the father was just utterly gutted when we saw him. He could barely even look at us. He, a, a year on or so, he was still gutted. Um, I'll just show you some more pictures of Fenny. This is uh, going a year later or so. That's her daughter has grown up. She's in much better spirits. That's her foot. The shoe was on her foot, so it's kind of left a scar. Um, I shared earlier that when she goes out, she notices people are looking at her like as though like in, in, uh, looking at someone who is um, august and not looking very well. And she says, I know they're looking at me. I do feel self-conscious, but I take that as an opportunity to, when they look at me to spread the good news of the gospel. And as I was sharing before, it's not a victim story. I'm not here to guilt trip anyone um, to, to think about how sad these situations are, even though that's true. But she's also a victor for Christ, and she uses her scars to say, Lord, can I strike up a conversation with this person to show them that God is good, that God loves me. If it wasn't for him, I would be dead. If it wasn't for him, I would be eternally dead anyway. And so she shares boldly for Christ, and I just find that uh, a very uh, encouraging story. I often ask myself the question, okay, I know that's happened, but what does that have to do with me? I'm here in Australia. I can't see these things, and it feels so foreign to me. 
And this is where we get the key scripture voice of the martyrs. It's, it's the core of voice of the martyrs. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. That takes the imagination. It takes... You have to think about that. Remember, because we probably will forget. As though in prison with them and those mistreated, knowing that you yourselves are part of the same body. That's profound because what it says is, regardless of my subjective opinion, I can turn to God and say, well, God, I don't feel that way. I don't see it. I'm not part of a body. This is my body. But in that spiritual realm we spoke about, the unseen, we are part of the same, objectively, part of the same body of Christ. Um as all these other brothers and sisters. And I like to give an illustration about that. Um, someone says to me, so what do you mean, David? I said, well, let me give you an analogy that I found at Richard Wormbrand shed about this. Richard Wormbrand was born in 1909. In 1938, he came to Christ. And let me just go to his picture. In 1938, he came to Christ. And a few years later, after coming to Christ, in 1945, the communists had come into Romania and they were, they were sharing their communism. And they had a big meeting called the Congress of Cults. Thousands in the audience. One by one, Christian leaders were denying their faith. They were too scared to lose their jobs. So they were saying, oh, we're the same as communism. It's the same thing. Many, many leaders. It wasn't only the heretics. It was just the average Christian who hadn't prepared for persecution were just denying the faith. And Richard was with his wife in the audience watching this take place. And she says to him, are you going to let them spit in the face of Christ? And let them do this. And he said to her, you know, if I speak up now, you've lost your husband. And she said, I don't want a coward for a husband. And I was just sharing before, if that was my wife there, I'd say, well, you stand up. You go talk to them. <laughs> you talk about your rights and all this. Are you doing? <laughs> I, would, I, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I, um, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> In all honesty, I don't know what I would do. But he stood up and he spoke for Christ. And um, three years later, he was arrested by the secret police. And they imprisoned him for 14 years. Three of those years was in solitary confinement. In fact, the guards would wear felt shoes to make sure no noise was heard. For three years, just nothing, just silence, one slice of bread a week. Not just him, many, many experiences. And I, and I, and I, and I wish I could share the stories with you, but I have a limited time, so I won't do that. But this is what Richard Wernbrand said about Hebrews 13.3. He said this, when I was beaten on my foot, my tongue cried out. And he said, why did my tongue cry out? He said, the foot and the tongue are part of the same body. And he said, and you free Christians, and me too, are all a part of the same body of Christ that is now beaten in restricted nations. Will you not help us? And an analogy I like to think of is this. Sometimes my wife asks me, David, do you love me? I said, yeah, I love you. And then she says, what do you, what do you love about me? And I, I think, okay, I can't say you're beautiful because it's just a cop out. And so if I had said to her, your left elbow is particularly beautiful, you have a nice right eyeball, and the third digit on your left foot is particularly nice, she'd say, that's crazy of course, but then I was sharing just earlier today, it's kind of the same thing with Christ. Because you see, we come to church, we love the Lord, we thank the Lord, we love Him, but when we hear about His suffering body, sometimes we just, oh, we just want to forget about it. And it's like saying to Christ, I love your head, but I don't love your body. And that's why the two greatest commandments is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because it's, it's actually impossible authentically to really love Christ without treasuring each other. Like we love each other 
so much because we literally are engraven and, and put onto the very body of Christ. He loves us so much that he says to you, um, if you even give a cup of water to someone because they belong to me, you will not fail to receive your reward. Can you think about how much Christ must love you that much? If someone gave you a cup of water, Christ would reward them because that's how much his sacrifice on the cross has purchased for us. Now, I'm just mindful of time. Um, so I'm just going to um, just share maybe one story and then I'll close. How much time do I have? Five minutes? Five minutes? Okay. Oh, okay. Same as last time. And then I'll, I'll just share the same story I shared to illustrate this point and then I'll close. Um, so in the 1840s, leprosy had come into Hawaii. And so in 1866, the Hawaiian authorities said, let's get everyone with leprosy. This, this is another story a pastor shared. Uh, I forgot his name now. But So they all went onto the island of Molokai in um, 1866 to live the rest of their days and die as outcasts. But in 1873, this, this Father Damien, this priest decided, I'm going to go and I'm going to live on this island with them. Now, let me just show you a picture of Father Damien. That's him in the middle there with the people of Molokai. Now, prior to him, people wouldn't even dare to touch the lepers, not touching them. Like with coronavirus, we can't even come near each other. People wouldn't even touch the lepers. He went beyond that. He hugged them, embraced them, taught them how to farm. They loved him as a spiritual father. One day after about 12 years of ministering to these people, he was making a cup of tea and he accidentally spilt the boiling cup of water and it landed on his foot. And he had a disturbing experience, namely that he didn't feel anything. And he realized that he himself had contracted leprosy, which is, destroys the nervous system. It used to be his custom to ascend the pulpit and say, my fellow believers or my fellow brothers and sisters, but this time when he ascended the pulpit, he said, my fellow lepers. When he died, the Belgium authorities wanted his body back. But the people of Molokai said, please leave us the hand because that was the hand that touched us. And the challenge that I want to put before you today and myself is it's easy to say our brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters. It's another thing to say our fellow witnesses. Um, the word martyr is actually just the word witness. That's all it means. Fellow martyrs, fellow witnesses. It's another thing to authentically participate in that great commission with them and say they are our fellow workers. It's easy to say there are brothers and sisters doing the work and we're here to pray for them. That's partly true. That's half, that's not entirely true. It's half true. And so the challenge that God puts before us is are we willing to become one with them, to not be ashamed of them, to become like one of them, like in the same way that Christ could have just forgiven us by clicking his fingers but he became a man like us. He didn't have to do that. He took on flesh and he wasn't ashamed to do that for us because he loved us so much. And I might just end with this thought, this thought and then close. Sometimes I ask myself, Lord, why have you make me uh, in this place of Australia? Why am I safe here? I feel guilty. And... But he said, well, maybe this is just a thought. Maybe you wouldn't be able to express gospel grace and glory if you weren't somewhat prosperous. Because God, being rightful owner of everything glorious, left that, and that's why we love him so much. And isn't it amazing in this world to show the rest of the world and all the unbelievers, we love our brothers and sisters, we believe in Christ so much, we're willing to leave what's comfortable, leave what's safe, leave what's 
easy for us and say, I'm willing to identify with them with time and so on, with, with, with my prayers and my precious time. I'll leave that thought with you, and I'll just say there's two things you can do. Please pray for us. I'll give you the newsletter for free. The book, Tortured for Christ, for free as well. Amazing book. If you've already got it, I'll give you another book. Um, if you would like to give, speak to me. That's no problem. 100% of what you give, I can nominate it to put it straight into the field, and it's tax deductible. Please get a free book, um, and uh, I might just leave it at that. So thank you so much for listening uh, to me today. So thank you.